This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, can I please have your attention? Welcome to The Remnant. I'm not Jonah Goldberg. I'm Sarah Isger filling in this week, and I brought along a co-host since technically I'm on maternity leave, so I'm not even here. Don't tell anyone. Shh. Kevin Williamson, thank you for doing this with me. I also am not Jonah Goldberg. Uh, And by the way, if you want to hear more Kevin, uh, Kevin and David French are doing an AMA that just came out as well and Ask Me Anything. So this will not be an Ask Kevin Anything or Sarah for that matter. Um, Kevin has been needling me since he joined the dispatch, really, uh, and trying to goad me into a Texas off, if you will. Uh, And you know what? When Jonah said he was going to be gone and I could do a little remnant takeover, I thought, let's do it, Kevin. Let's see what your brisket's really made of, friend. Well, a little uh, correction there. I haven't been trying to goad you into anything. I have just observed on a number of occasions that you're not really from Texas. You're just from, you know, you can see it from where you're you're from, but you're not, not really from there. All right. Well, let's start then with where we're both from. And generationally as well. So, Kevin, tell us your Texas heritage. I was born in Amarillo and raised in Lubbock. As for that family, I have no idea. We're poor white trash. We don't keep records going back very many generations. Where were your parents born? Texas. (laughs) Okay. Uh, My father would have been born in uh, Denison, I guess. And my mother was born in Phillips, which... No longer exists, but it's um, near Borger. Near where? Borger. See, and I don't even know where that is. You're from like those upper parts. Borger is a very important town in Texas history. It was a big part of the uh, energy business once upon a time. It was where most of the world's or most of the country's carbon black was produced, which is a necessary ingredient tires, among other things. All right. And what about grandparents? Do you know? Uh, No, I don't really know about them. My mother's side would have been Palo Pinto County, Texas. On my father's side, I don't know. This will all have a point because we're going to talk about a lot of Texas things. So it's important that you know from whence we speak, the two of us. uh, Should our opinions diverge, you can pick teams. 
Um, so before we get into some of the important Texas political questions that we need to answer here, my I was born in Houston uh, and g- spent my first year in the Heights on Avenue J. I am so told. I've driven by the house. It was yellow last time I checked. Uh, and then we moved out to, <laughs> well, we moved out to Fort Bend County. I lived in Richmond, but I always thought it was funny growing up because I was always, anytime anyone was talking about where I lived, they said Richmond Rosenberg (laughs) because we hyphenated the two towns (laughs) because they were both really small at the time. Uh, They've both grown much, much bigger. Uh, At the time, I think Richmond was about 2,000 people when I lived there. And um, my, I think what sums up where I grew up was that we lived on a mile long, at the end of a mile long dirt road. And I have this... (laughs) really great memory as a kid of my dad, you know, driving down the road and he saw some construction workers uh, where it met the FM highway and they were paving it. And so my dad in friendly fashion rolls down the window and is like, thanks for coming to pave Carol Lane. (laughs) They said, what? Wrong road. (laughs) And they stopped. (laughs) (laughs) So then we lived at the end of a half mile long dirt road and some pavement to the rest of the FM. Very nice. As you as you probably know, I'm a big fan of Houston. It is one of my my favorite American cities, and uh, probably my my favorite city in the in the greater Cajun cultural zone. Oh man! And here I was about to trash Dallas. How gracious of you! <laughs> you can trash Dallas all you want. Uh, Dallas is um, Dallas is not a very interesting city, for one thing. Um, Dallas is basically I think of Dallas as being a very distant suburb of Atlanta. You know, it's sort of um, culturally indistinguishable from that kind of world. You know, Dallas could be in um, Dallas could be Atlanta. Dallas could be Cleveland. Dallas could be all sorts of places. Dallas is um, is, Dallas is a very nice place to live in a lot of ways, and it's a very convenient airport. There are a lot of good things to be said about Dallas, but Dallas is not very interesting in the way Houston's interesting, or even in the way San Antonio is interesting. Oh, San Antonio is more interesting, I would argue. Um, I- I always explain the difference between Dallas and Houston to people as follows. Um, Dallas is an old money town. Who your grandparents are matters. They, they pride themselves on such things um, and, you know, inheritance and whatnot. Whereas Houston is a new money town. It's why Dallas looks down on Houston. But we very much take that heritage seriously and consider everyone to be wildcatters that are just, you know, one oil boom away or bust away from their fortunes changing entirely. And it makes us fun. <laughs> thing about Dallas is the name Dallas doesn't really refer to Dallas. You know, it refers to this whole kind of area out here of which Dallas is really only a very small part. But if you ever, when you, you drive down the highway and um, if you stopped on the interstate somewhere and you're trying to tell someone where you were without telling them where you were just by describing what's around you, like, you know, there's a Texas roadhouse on one side of the street and there's a giant Exxon station on the other side of the street. And there's uh, a Ruby Tuesdays and a um, TGIF. Like that intersection is Dallas, right? That's kind of what Dallas is like. It is, um, it is the concentration of all the most uh, sort of generic elements, I think, of the United States. Particularly kind of, you know, that not really urban, not really ex-urban kind of culture that's sort of somewhere in the middle. Like there's a city here. Uh, there's a couple of cities here. There's a reason that Fort Worth always wants to make very clear that they're not Dallas. Like if you're from Fort yeah. Worth, you're like, no, no, not Dallas, not Dallas, Fort Worth, no hyphen, Fort Worth. 
they are rather insistent about that. Um, <laughs> Fort Worth's kind of a nice town too in some ways. So Houston, another thing that I actually- It's be a very specialized niche podcast. This is, but we're going to we're gonna get to the to the other stuff. As I said, we need to like put our, our Texas stuff out there. Um, Houston, I got in a fight with this uh, woman who worked in the White House Counsel's Office during the Bush administration. She was from New Jersey and she found out I was from Houston and made some crack about- uh, you know, her being from New Jersey, so her understanding diversity, whereas I'm from Houston and like, therefore, like only know stuff about like white cowboys or something. And I was like, oh, check yourself. That <laughs> could not be more wrong. Houston is actually the most diverse city in the United States of America. Um, and I think it makes our food incredible. It's like you already had the Tex-Mex and the barbecue heritage um, the barbecue heritage, by the way, I think people, maybe outside of Texas at least, won't totally understand that that comes from that German belt that kind of uh, runs south of Dallas between Houston and Austin and then kind of circles back toward the coast a little bit. Um, it's why you're going to get all of those German-named counties and towns and stuff. So that's where the barbecue comes from. And then it moves out toward Austin San Antonio and towards Houston. Barbecue in Dallas is further away, both literally and philosophically. So is the Tex-Mex. Um, it's why San Antonio, it's one of the reasons why San Antonio is so much fun and so interesting, is the food reflects the heritage. Um, and like, if you only see the Alamo, you've missed sort of the purpose of the Alamo, if you will. It's having the missions there. That's what made San Antonio so cool. Uh, don't just go to the Alamo, please. Please don't just go to the Alamo. Do remember it though. That's important. Okay. So Kevin, we'll we'll come back to some of the Texas stuff. We'll talk about favorite foods, et cetera. But there's a reason that I wanted this to be a Texas-based podcast and that I needed you to be on it. I don't think enough attention has been paid to what went on in Texas for the last two and a half weeks, by which I mean the Paxton impeachment trial and really three months. Um, and so I wanted to set the table a little bit and then have us discuss Texas politics and the Ted Cruz race coming up and like what we learned this summer about Texas and, uh, you know, whether it's still a single party state. I think there's some better arguments for that than there were six months ago in a lot of ways, um, or whether it's going to turn blue come 2024 in that Senate race. So Ken Paxton, the Texas Attorney General, had been under investigation for some time. He'd been under state indictment for quite a while. State securities fraud issues that we're probably not going to get into on this podcast, but he'd been under federal investigation as well. And, and remains so. And remains so. Um, although we can expect that to move from investigation to something else probably pretty soon, but we'll see. Uh, Indictments are expected. <laughs> So here's the punchline. Many of Ken Paxton's senior staff that he had hired, very conservative folks, like very conservative, all went to the FBI and said that they believed that their boss was engaged in illegal activities. They claimed whistleblower status. Ken Paxton fired them and uh, made it difficult for them to find other jobs. Uh, particularly legal jobs. 
They have all landed various places. I don't think any have landed at big law firms, for instance, which may or may not be relevant to retaliation claims down the line. So they sued these whistleblowers. Ken Paxton then settled with them for just over $3 million and then (laughs) tried to pay that out of taxpayer dollars. Here's the problem, right? Either they were whistleblowers, in which case you shouldn't have fired them or retaliated against them, um, and then you owe them the $3 million because you screwed up, or they weren't whistleblowers. You were right to fire them, in which case, why are you paying them $3 million of taxpayer dollars? This was the question that the Texas House of Representatives wanted answers to. So they opened an investigation because they had to sign off on the $3 million payment. In the course of opening this investigation and hearing from several of these whistleblowers, uh, they found out why the whistleblowers were blowing whistles having to do with this guy named Nate Paul, who, at least last I checked, was 36 years old, uh, financier-type person in Texas who had become friends with Ken Paxton. And there's real questions over various types of quid pro quo corruption Um, What's funny to me is that quid pro quo corruption requires um, that the, you know, you have to prove that the quid was for the quo, and that's what makes it illegal. What's sort of fun about some of these allegations is that the quo itself was illegal, so you don't really need to prove (laughs) the quid pro part, i.e. one of them was that Ken Paxton used his office to basically obstruct a federal investigation and provide for instance, the names of FBI agents who were investigating Nate Paul so that Nate Paul could then mess with those people. That would be illegal all on its own. You don't need to prove that Ken Paxton took money for that. Uh, however, Nate Paul did have Ken Paxton's mistress on payroll. That was one of the, you know, payments. There was um, uh, refurbishment to his house The day that the whistleblowers went to the FBI, they, I guess, went in the morning. That afternoon, Ken Paxton paid Nate Paul $120,000, but also claims that he didn't have his kitchen refurbished by Nate Paul. Yeah, the interesting thing was he didn't didn't send it to to him. He sent it to this other company that is the subject of a separate criminal investigation that um, hadn't been incorporated in Texas, I guess, at the time the work was being done. And the other investigation alleges that it was set up just for the purpose of receiving illegal payments. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is maybe he's not entirely out of the woods on that one, even though the, um, the uh, impeachment has um, gone over. All right. So, Napal is under indictment at this point, uh, federal indictment. The House then moves 16 articles of impeachment against Ken Paxton, uh, abuse of office firing these whistleblowers and wanting the state to pay for it. Uh, The quid pro quo stuff with Nate Paul. That then, so 120 Republicans in the Texas House vote in favor of those articles of impeachment. This is led by the Texas Speaker of the House. It moves to the Texas Senate. The Lieutenant Governor is the President of the Senate. Uh, Dan Patrick, he is a former radio host in the state, not a lawyer. The rules of the Senate trial get pretty weird. He basically says that they're going to use criminal rules, even though it's not a criminal proceeding, and says that they have to find stuff um, beyond a reasonable doubt, which doesn't make a ton of sense, because, like, find what? Like, 
anyway. There's also the wrinkle that Paxton's hometown state senator was his wife. Yes, she was not a voting member of the Senate for the purpose of the impeachment trial, but she was used for quorum, which counted her basically as a no vote uh, in terms of what would be needed to remove him. Um, Yeah, then Dan Patrick uh, decides that Ken Paxton does not need to testify, uh, so they can't subpoena Ken Paxton because, again, this was treated as a criminal trial. He can't be forced to testify. Uh, They... Dan Patrick also then did not force the mistress to testify, which becomes pretty relevant when you know who's sitting in the audience for that. Um, Awkward. The mistress said that she would uh, claim her Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. Any prosecutor, again, I'm using this term sort of loosely in impeachment setting, would love for her to have to take the stand, so to speak, and take her Fifth Amendment rights. It doesn't look great. Um, Okay, so in the end, the highest number of votes to remove Ken Paxton to, to, you know, find in favor of one of the articles of impeachment was 14, 16 nay votes. Um, It was 12 Democrats and two Republicans. Now, there were some that actually ended up more skewed in Ken Paxton's favor. Um, You know, some of the weaker articles, for instance, One of those Republican votes, um, I think is fair to probably call him a little bit squishy. One of them is not. He's just a super, (laughs) he's been in the Senate a long time. He's a chairman of a committee. He's pretty independent minded and he, he's honey badger, right? He don't give up anything. But yet a lot of Republicans, 16, uh, vote in favor of keeping Ken Paxton as attorney general. The Wall Street Journal has weighed on on this, Texas Tribune, Axios, on why this might have happened despite pretty overwhelming evidence of corruption, sure, but even like the less than corruption. You tried to pay off the whistleblowers who you fired with $3 million of taxpayer money. Either they were whistleblowers, so you shouldn't have fired them, or they weren't, in which case, why are you paying them with taxpayer money? Kevin, even even in you know the context of a big state government like Texas, three, $3 million is, is fighting over money. Clearly. You know. uh, Dan Patrick, at the end of the trial, then excoriated the Texas Speaker of the House so that they, quote, rammed through this impeachment. The Texas Speaker fired back. <laughs> okay, Kevin, why were there votes to remove Ken Paxton? And yet there were 120 votes in the House on the articles of impeachment. You have a fight now between the Texas Speaker and the lieutenant governor. Ken Paxton is supposed to now be on a revenge tour. Donald Trump's involved. Ted Cruz is involved. Ted Cruz, who has a tough Senate race in 2024. Make make us a narrative out of all of this. Well, I mean, the short version of the story is that um, because Democrats don't really have any real power in Texas at the state government level, the two parties in Texas effectively are both within the Republican Party. There's a sort of normal Republican caucus, and there's the crazy person caucus. And as with the rest of the country, the crazy person caucus in the Republican Party is uh, growing more powerful and is, and is the dominant caucus. Um, so Texas is, is run not just by Republicans, but by, by crazy Republicans. Dade Phelan, who is the Speaker of the House, by the way, everyone in this story uh, like has like a dumb cowboy movie name. <laughs> Um, Dade Phelan, 
in Paxton. But this this follows a long tradition, you know, of UT quarterbacks, for instance, having the most amazing names. Colt McCoy, like <laughs> the day his father named him, he knew what he would be. Uh, Major Applewhite. <laughs> yeah, the, I remember Major Applewhite. There's a legislator down from around your world whose name is Briscoe Kane. <laughs> and, uh, yep. which sounds like, like the lunch special at a barbecue restaurant or something, you know, it's um, something weird. Um, so all Texas politicians have um, goofy names, apparently. And uh, Dan Patrick's pretty much the, the normalist of, of the names. It's one of those two first names. Never trust those folks. You know, so I named, we named our, our baby Kevin. And it turns out that Craig Biggio, famous Astros player, named his son Kevin. It's the only other Kevin I know. <laughs> Texas roots, man. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so um, Phelan, th- there aren't any Republicans in Texas really who aren't conservative. Um, you know, it's a very conservative Republican Party, a pretty conservative state. But Phelan is kind of by default the, uh, the leader of the, the less crazy wing of the Republican Party. And uh, Paxton is, oh, in his position, the, the leader of the more crazy wing of the Republican Party. And the thing that you have to understand about Texas is that, um, and by you, I don't mean you, I mean listeners. Constitutionally, Texas has kind of a weak governorship. And for a long time, the kind of uh, proverb in Texas was, was that the lieutenant governor really had more power than the governor did because he's the president of the state senate. And in that role, he can exercise a lot of power. Now, George uh, W. Bush changed a lot of that. And uh, Rick Perry and some other governors since then have, um, I think, changed the character of the governor's office in Texas. But Texas still has a very, very powerful lieutenant governor's office. It's not like being the vice president where you, you know, you show up and you cut ribbons and everyone talks about how they wish you weren't there so they could change the top of the ticket. Which is <laughs> um, maybe something that happens every cycle, but it happens, happens some cycles. So one of the weird things about Texas politically that I, I, I find very interesting is that um, Texas is slightly more urban than is the country at large. We have a lot of very, very big cities in Texas. I think six or seven of the 20 biggest cities in the United States are in Texas. So, and most Texans live in or around those cities. So most people in Texas live in places that are either dominated by Democrats like Houston, San Antonio, and Dallas, or they live adjacent to those places in places that are really kind of very purple. Um, I hate the whole color coding thing, but I'll use the convention for the purposes of the conversation. Um, but it's a little like... Um, a little like Florida in a sense, where Florida is actually a really pretty closely divided state if you look at people's party affiliation. Uh, but Democrats just can't seem to win a race there for various reasons. Now, Texas isn't as closely divided as Florida is, but it's not as heavily a Republican state as, say, Oklahoma or Kansas or someplace like that or Wyoming. So you've got um, this Republican Party that acts as though its constituency and its electorate is not not just Utah, but like some particularly revanchist, <laughs> uh, you know, super, super reactionary corner of the desert somewhere in Utah um, or Oklahoma or, or, or someplace like that, instead of being, you know, uh, a big cosmopolitan, largely urban uh, state. And um, so the one Republican who peeled off was from the suburbs of Fort Worth, where you get a bit more uh, competition between the parties. Uh, Fort Worth is, I believe now, the last time I checked, yeah, I think this is still correct, is the largest city in the United States to have a Republican mayor. Yes. And uh, it is also the, um, it was the largest city 
that reliably went Republican in state elections. Now, it no longer is that. Um, Fort Worth now occasionally will go Democratic in state elections, as Ted Cruz found out last time around, uh, which makes my hometown of Lubbock the uh, largest uh, reliably Republican city in Texas, and it's not a very big city. So Republicans have managed to build this really effective political machine on the basis of um, enjoying a slight advantage in a lot of suburbs and enjoying a very, very large advantage in kind of exurban and rural areas. But everyone, I think, can kind of see the writing on the wall for them that as Texas becomes a more and more urban state and as Texas cities act like cities do everywhere else in the country, and politically, Dallas could be Philadelphia. If you look at the, you know, the turnout of who votes how and how many Republican mayors it's had, I think the last Republican mayor in Dallas was maybe in the 70s, uh, maybe in the 60s, something like that. And that's back, by the way, when Republican and Democrat meant something different. Quite, yeah. It's, it's, it's worth uh, remembering that Rick Perry first held office as a Democrat in Texas. Right, the realignment's was, not going to even start until the early mid-80s in Texas, and it's certainly not going to finish until the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, and George W. Bush, uh, when he got reelected, was the, uh, the first governor of any party to be reelected to a four-year term in Texas. Uh, they changed the term length, I guess, back in the 70s as well. But he was also, I think, only the second Republican governor of the state since, uh, since Reconstruction. In Reconstruction, there were two or three. Um, so the Republican Party in Texas is, in some ways, a, a new-ish organization, and it, it shows. You know, it's not like the Republican Party in, in Kansas, I guess, which occasionally does some crazy stuff. But it's um, sort of slow moving and, and, and sober by comparison with some of the other uh, public parties in other places. So, yeah, we've got, a, I think, an interesting uh, political future in Texas because the character of the Republican Party really does not match the character of the state and its population and its electorate. Um, you know, you saw Trump do worse in Texas in 2020 than he'd done in 2016. In 2016, he didn't do that great in Texas. I think he won by three points, something like that. And uh, in 2021, by like maybe two point something. So yeah, it's a weird, it's, it's a weird kind of upside down state that way, where if you just looked at the antics of Ken Paxton and Dan Patrick and people like that, you would think it's a very, very different sort of state than the one it actually is. But because the Republican Party, the higher up you go in the Republican Party, the more it's run by Fox News and talk radio and uh, and groups like that. The state Senate uh, took essentially a kind of you know, Trumpist line to this stuff and said that basically anytime a Republican is in trouble in a way that has Democrats voting against him, we're going to come to his aid no matter what he's done. And if you've got an R next to your name, you can't do anything wrong enough for us to take action against you unless the wrong thing that you're doing is done in conjunction with Democrats. And Ken Paxton has not done anything in conjunction with Democrats in a very, very long time, one suspects. So the Republicans rallied around him, except for one guy from East Texas, from the Tyler area. He's very, very conservative, as you noted, uh, more moderate Republican from the suburbs of Fort Worth. And that was that. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So I want to read you a few things. Um, starting with that Wall Street Journal editorial board piece. Uh, So at one point, the defense team for Ken Paxton said that this was the opportunity to put an end to the Bush era in Texas. Because George P. Bush is really out there calling the shots. I don't think your average Texas voter literally could pick George P. Bush out of a police lineup if you asked him to. So he ran against Paxton uh, in some earlier election and and lost in, in the primary. And, um, the Paxton people have told this story about Texas secretly being, you know, kind of run behind the scenes by uh, some, you know, string pulling, shadowy cabal Bushites, which is George P. Bushites at that, which is not a thing. Doesn't exist. <laughs> it's just, it's just, just made up. What's interesting? So I'll read you what the. Wall Street Journal uh, editorial board said, Mr. Paxton's offenders are spinning that he was saved by a populist national conservative groundswell to put an end to the Bush era in Texas. What a joke. There is no longer a Bush era in Texas or anywhere else. George P. Bush, Jeb Bush's son, lost Mr. Paxton in the 2022 primary. What really happened Saturday is that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who runs the state Senate, chose to rescue Mr. Paxton in a rebuke to his rival, House Speaker Dade Phelan. All politics is very local here. Uh, skipping ahead to sort of the punchline here. The acquittal is perhaps a satisfying victory for Mr. Patrick over his House rival, but it may not play out so well for Texas Republicans in the long run. A federal investigation into Mr. Paxton is continuing amid reports that a grand jury has been impaneled. One party rule has often led to abuses of unchecked power and corruption in U.S. state governments, as we've learned in Albany, Springfield, and Trenton. If voters draw that lesson from Mr. Paxton's acquittal, the GOP's political dominance could be in jeopardy as Texas demographics change. Texas voters still lean right, but evidence of corruption can overcome ideology when the party in power dismisses it as unimportant. A precedent worth noting is when lobbyist Jack Abramoff and aides to then-majority leader Tom DeLay abused their power. Mr. DeLay was never charged, but the scandal helped Democrats retake the House majority in 2006. Texas Republicans do not want to become the conservative version of Albany Democrats, says the Wall Street Journal. So this is where it relates to Ted Cruz's race, in my mind. Um, That is the race that Democrats have any chance of winning. And they're going to be able to put more energy into it than past races because they don't have a lot of other options for 2024. They have a lot of seats they're defending. That's going to take up money and time. And they're defending them in red places, Montana, West Virginia, Ohio, etc. Their only pickup opportunities, their best pickup opportunities are Texas and Florida, not purple states at this point. Um, But people are really looking at this Ted Cruz race as well. Beto really put up a strong fight, only lost by three points. 
maybe Ted Cruz is in real trouble. He's gotten less popular since Beto ran against him in 2018. I have been splashing a lot of cold water on that. Um, I think there's reasons that the Beto race was unique in 2018 and probably cannot be repeated in 2024. I think that the high watermark for Beto was losing by three points. I haven't seen anyone tell me how he could have made up the three points. He outspent Ted two to one in the election year. Turnout was sky high for a midterm election. There was no one else to find. Losing by three points was impressive, but it doesn't make you a senator. Um, And even if Ted Cruz has gotten less popular, this is now a general election race, yada, yada. However, I want to revisit my prior because of this. Texas voters all saw what was happening. I'm not saying they know the ins and outs of what Ken Paxton did wrong, but Ken Paxton is not Donald Trump. He's not some charismatic guy who can spin himself, you know, out of a paper bag. He's about to do this national media tour. And my prediction is like, it's not going to go particularly well. Um, So I'm curious what you think of how this could affect the Republican Party in Texas moving forward, and particularly in some of these tough races. One thing I don't get, never have gotten, never will get is the um, affection people have for Beto. Um, he just seems like a dork to me. And, uh, you know, one of these... Hey, hey, lots of people like dorks. Some people marry yeah. dorks. <laughs> I'm grateful. Yeah, he's one of these, you know, uh, you know, sons of a rich, politically connected family. He's never really done anything interesting in his life. But the the kind of cult following he has is nuts. I mean, if you drive through Oak Cliff in Dallas or any other really liberal neighborhood in Texas, parts of Houston, you'll still see Beto signs up there. Uh, there are Beto signs on the street I lived on in Oak Cliff as we speak, um, even though he's not going to run for anything. People just um, latched onto him for some reason. Democrats, of course, have had a hard time recruiting really good candidates in Texas for a lot of reasons because nobody wants to run in a losing race. And the last time against the governor, they ran a woman who'd been the sheriff of Dallas County, I want to say. And, um, you know, a fine candidate maybe for uh, some other kind of race, but she didn't, you know, get, didn't get real close. If the, if the Democrats can recruit, you know, a, a really good candidate to run against Cruz, and if they just decide to make that their hill to die on, it might be kind of an interesting race. I'm sort of with you that I think that they, they're not going to do it. This is probably, they'll eventually pull one out, but I still kind of doubt that it'll be this cycle. Although if they pulled it out, it wouldn't just entirely shock me. But if I were them and I were looking around the map and saying, we're going to lose a whole bunch of races, but if we beat Ted Cruz in Texas, the next day, the headlines look great for us. It's true. Everyone feels better. The Democrats have been all about kind of moral victories in Texas in the last few years. Like we got within three points. That's a moral <laughs> victory against Ted Cruz. We got within two points, you know. We got, we did better than 34, um, which wasn't that what um, the lady with the sneakers, I'm blanking Wendy Davis. Uh, she spent 59 million, lost by 20. But if you're going to have a moral victory, you know, an election cycle in which you're probably going to take a whipping in most of the country. And if you get up in the morning and say, yeah, we lost the race in Wyoming, no one's going to feel too bad about that. If you can say, but we beat Ted Cruz in Texas, um, that's going to make uh, somebody hero. So I, if I were them, I'd pull a lot of resources into it because as you point out, what else are they going to do? Um, I guess you can, you can run real hard in Florida and maybe, do you think they probably got a better chance in Florida than they do against in Texas or? I think they think they have a better chance in Texas, which okay. I'm not sure they do. But as long as everyone thinks that and you start pouring resources into it and candidate recruitment efforts into it, then it sort of becomes self-fulfilling in that sense. I think Ted Cruz is a polarizing figure, even in Texas. And I think that's sort of what they're looking at. Um, 
I, I just think if you were just looking at the state and you didn't attach names to it, Florida obviously is a, a toss uppier state than Texas is. I mean, I've worked in the, my first campaign was in 2002. I mean, technically I worked for like, I was a you know volunteer in 2000 for like some number of days, but I like worked the 2002 Hornin race every single cycle. It's turned Texas blue. Um, and it's not really a thing. And I think Greg Abbott, I have complaints about Greg Abbott. There's things I don't like about Greg Abbott. Lots of things. The, the list is long in many ways. But he's been a very savvy politician in Texas. And sort of like Mitch McConnell, if you want to understand the dynamics of an electorate without having to do any of the legwork, just see who the smartest guy like what the smartest guy in the room is doing strategically. And you can guess he's probably got a pretty good finger on the pulse, whether it's Mitch McConnell in the Senate or in this case, Greg Abbott in Texas. Um, Greg Abbott, by the way, never publicly said anything about the Paxton stuff. But there's no question Greg Abbott, I think, wanted Paxton out of there. Greg Abbott sees no upside to keeping Paxton around and not because... Paxton some threat to Greg Abbott. Quite the opposite. Pa- Abbott has no reason one way or the other about Paxton, except sort of health of the party, health of the electorate, et cetera, the future. Whereas Dan Patrick, for instance, um, certainly has his own future in mind, as many of those Texas senators, I mean, Texas senators like U.S. senators look in the mirror every morning and see a Texas governor as the U.S. senator, see a president. I think there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who they knew that Paxton was a problem, will continue to be a problem. He's not really much of a team player and all the things you can say about Paxton. But they also were maybe um, enjoying the prospect of thinking about who they could put in that office instead of him because there are some some replacement candidates that were on everyone's uh, you know front burner who are pretty attractive figures and who would be good for the state Republican Party and good for their allies and, and good for the people who... Um, who, who put them there. Um, so that's not going to happen now. And they're, and they're stuck with, with, with Paxton. You know, there was a time when Ted Cruz was sort of a cause in Texas, you know, when Ted Cruz was really seen as the, you know, kind of conservative champion. And I think that time is, is, is really long past. And then now he's seen as just another kind of oleaginous, unattractive Washington guy. Well, the way, frankly, people thought about Cornyn here for a long time. I don't know anyone in Texas politics who's like, Hooray, John Cornyn. Um, I've never heard that in my whole life. Um, you know, but he's a very reasonably effective guy and he does what he does. And uh, no one's dying to get rid of him. No one's saying we hate John Cornyn so much. We love, prefer to see a Democrat in that race. And I think Cruz is essentially on his way to that kind of level of support where it's, we don't love the guy. Um, stylistically, there are a lot of things about him that are unlikable. Uh, you've probably heard this a million times, but you bring up Ted Cruz with someone who's you know, kind of a little bit politically engaged. And the first thing they will do is talk about how much they hate the way he talks and how he does this thing where he talks like, you know, some kind of, you know, Baptist preacher and um, the kind of, you know, fake good old boy thing he does. Like, you know, eh, you went to Princeton, come on, you know, you're not, you're not that guy. You didn't, you know, you didn't grow up drinking beer on a dirt road while you're, you know, cleaning off the tractor. Uh, that's just not, not you. And, and that's not who most Texas voters are either. Um, the weird need that Texas politicians feel to play that guy is inexplicable to me. It's sort of like Nashville country singers, by the way. Yeah. 
Like, aren't you Australian? (laughs) (laughs) Australians are the closest country to Texas. Uh, culturally, oh, the Texas <laughs> of, of, of countries, no doubt, but um, but still, you know, it's it's a little different. And disclaimer, by the way, so I worked on John Cornyn's race. I've worked for Ted Cruz, mm-hmm. though not on his Senate race. I've worked at Ted, uh, Texas legislative session, including for uh, I guess I think I did like thirty five House races. I actually don't remember the names of everyone because there were thirty five. But like, just full disclaimer, I've probably worked for a lot of the people that we're talking about in any of these positions. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of disclaimers to make. Just that says part of your CV. Lots. Yeah. And my husband was the Texas Solicitor General under Ken Paxton. So <laughs> all the disclaimers, um, which I maybe should have made at the beginning, but I figured people probably at this point had some guess that I had. See, normally politicians don't even talk to me. <laughs> you see Kevin and walk the other way. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So, okay. Then. The other thing that we haven't talked about is some of the one-party rule problems that the Texas Republican Party already has experienced. I mean, 10 years ago, there was basically a revolt against the Texas Republican Party as it was constituted. And there was a whole other organization started called Associated Republicans of Texas that donors were putting their money into. Um, Texans for for lawsuit reform almost served as a quasi-party structure um, maybe something more akin to the Senate Leadership Fund at the national level or something. Like it wasn't a party structure, but it was where the money was um, and where the endorsements were and everything else, all because of that sort of single party takeover, crazy person incompetence problem that single party states often have in their state parties. It can happen when they're too big. It can also happen when they're too small. I mean, the California Republican Party is an interesting example on the other extreme that but a weak party dominated by factions internally is much easier to control from the outside correct so you've got a few a small number of donors in texas a couple guys out in midland some billionaire types in uh houston and and dallas area who really um exercise um, an enormous degree of influence over the party how do you think that will move playing forward some of the discussion um behind the scenes here has been that dan patrick uh got $3 million or so dollars, paid off some of his campaign debt, got built up his campaign coffers a little from Paxton's PAC itself and from Paxton-related donors. Um, so how, does, how does the Republican Party infrastructure in the state 
change at all? What does that tell us about sort of the National Republican Party? I mean, Donald Trump supported Ken Paxton. There's tongue-in-cheek rumors that I feel like the tongue is slowly moving out of the cheek that Ken Paxton might be Donald Trump's pick for attorney general, U.S. attorney general, you know, if he's not in jail. I would bet really, really strongly against that happening. I would too. Donald Trump doesn't actually like those people, in my view. Your reason might be different. Donald Trump is very superficial, as you know, and um, he cares a great deal about what people look like. Ken Paxton has a lazy eye for those who have not watched Ken Paxton in person. One of his eyes moves, you know, differently. Paxton has some, some, some facial asymmetry issues that I think, weird, weird, weird enough as that is, I think that would uh, possibly keep him out of, uh, out of uh, the, the Trump cabinet. You know, what, what the Texas Republicans need and what the National Republicans need is, is to lose badly. And that's the only thing that's going to sober them up. I mean, one of the problems that they've had both at the state level and at the national level is that they've, they've had narrow wins that haven't been enough to um, give them the confidence they need to reorganize themselves and rebuild a real party structure. And when they've lost, it's been narrow losses that haven't been enough to sober them up. And uh, I think a, um, given that Donald Trump will be the nominee probably this time around, um, something I didn't believe maybe a year ago, but seems seems likely at this point, a landslide win for the Republicans in the presidential race this time of year would be a terrible thing for them and for the country. It would uh, confirm them in their craziness and uh, have all sorts of bad consequences. Um, but a narrow loss wouldn't be enough to, to cause them to uh, rethink the errors of their ways. If they've got to lose, and, um, and of course, Trump being the nominee, I hope they do lose that time around. But if the Republicans are going to lose in 2024, I would much rather see them lose by like 20 points. Uh, no, it's not going to happen because it's not the nature of the country right now. Uh, we are still very closely divided and people will pull the lever for their party, irrespective of um, what sort of candidate you put there. But it would be a great thing for the Republican Party, I think, in the long term to have like a 40 point. Loss. Uh, you know, one of those uh, Reagan 84 maps. Uh, you know, where people are saying recount uh, Minnesota. All right, last thing. I kind of want to steel man the other side of this Ken Paxton thing because, uh, look, the state securities fraud case not only hasn't gone anywhere, but from the get looked pretty partisan. Um, that, you know, a very, very liberal elected blue city uh, district attorney indicted Ken Paxton for a quasi paper violation having to do with um, investments when he was a, a lawyer, basically. And that office has a long history of making stupid partisan prosecutions and causing trouble for itself. And, um, and this one hasn't gone anywhere. I mean, what, I've, it's 10 years old. if it does not old? have a great deal of public trust, it's because it does not deserve a great deal of public trust. So to say that Ken Paxton is, you know, under state indictment and federal investigation, I think misstates it a little. The state indictment is not, um, credible, at least not anymore. Like it's been 10 years. They haven't moved on it, but you know, it was a press release. Um, okay. On the federal side, the feds haven't moved on this. They have the whistleblowers told them everything they knew. Um, yes, DOJ moves slowly, but at some point you have to wonder whether they question the strength of the case that they would be able to bring. Now, I think there's no question the impeachment 
um, investigation in the house sort of put that on ice. But DOJ had plenty of time before the house opened any investigation. Well, that was the cleverness of Paxson's defense to the extent that it was clever, was going in there and saying, these things aren't crimes. Um, to treat it as though he were on trial for some sort of federal uh, felony offense or some sort of state felony offense. And of course, in the impeachment, the question isn't, did you commit an actual crime? The question is, are you a jerk we can't trust with power and want to get rid of? Who's trying to spend $3 million for his own screw up? And, you know, I mean, just the whole thing of, well, you did have a campaign donor put your girlfriend on his payroll. That's a fact. You tried to spend $3 million in taxpayer dollars to pay off employees that you fired instead of finding some other way. And you want us, House members, to like sign off on that payment. That's why you came to us for the money. It's not a crime, but we don't trust you. That's right. But we don't trust you. And um, I don't think that the people who wanted him gone did a very good job of emphasizing that this was not a criminal proceeding, even though it had the tenor of one. And the question wasn't, is Ken Paxton a felon? It's is Ken Paxton a jerk who can't be trusted with power. At some, at some point, voters ask themselves that, though, too, right? I mean, voters get a chance to impeach him as well. The lawyers on the putting prosecution in quotes side um, from the impeachment team did not do well. I mean, like you said, they underemphasized the moral impeachment side of this, the, the um, very practical side of it, and sort of fell into the criminal trap. There was also a problem where, like, they maybe just weren't very good good. Like, the head of the team accidentally rested his case instead of passing the witness. Uh, He's 80-some years old. Like, we sort of have, like, a generational problem, like we've talked about in other contexts. Um, They just weren't very strong with these witnesses. Like, Ken Paxton's team, I think you have to acknowledge, was scoring points in the Senate trial. Yeah, although they weren't all that super put together either. I mean, I, I, I'm curious about your opinion on this as a, as a lawyer, like where it came time for their opening statement and the guy was, um, so I got like what, 15 minutes, 30 minutes of recess before we do this. And Zach or Dan Patrick's, no, <laughs> you're up. <laughs> Start talking. And he's like, oh, and he did fine with it. But um, he didn't really even know when he was supposed to make his opening statement, which I wouldn't have found very confidence building if I'd been his client. It was funny. This really pitted sort of the most famous trial attorneys in the state of Texas. Like the guys you see on billboards driving down the freeway, they were all involved. The kind of sleazy trial lawyers who give sleazy trial lawyers a bad name. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny, actually. All right. Well, we need to finish on a Texasy note. So I've got a few lightning round questions for you. Not going to ask me about my, my, my Texas heresy, of course. Which is? Kansas City has better barbecue. Kansas City's burnt ends are amazing. But Texas burnt ends aren't. Like, we still call them burnt ends, but they're not the same. Like, the words are the same, but the definitions aren't the same. So I don't think that's really fair. Um, and otherwise, no, Kansas City isn't better. It's just that I will acknowledge Kansas City burnt ends, which is like a separate thing, are like candy meat and they are really, really good. Whereas, for instance, I think like this is a real problem in our household. My husband will smoke ribs for me and then ask if I want sauce on them. Whoa. Texas barbecue does not have sauce. It's salt, pepper, and you smoke your meat. Do not put sauce on Texas barbecue. Um, That's heresy. 
So my household really observes that. And when we have guests over, they are told that. Um, But okay, here's my lightning round. Okay. Someone is coming from out of state and they've got a few days in Texas. And so here are the questions for you. One, what is the restaurant that they need to go to? You get to pick which city they're going to in this uh, hypo. They shouldn't go to any of the cities. They should go to Big Bend and um, eat at that truck stop in Trilingua. I forget what it's called. Cities aren't really that interesting. No, 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 that's fine. It was lightning round. You get to pick the restaurant. I think that was an excellent answer. Okay. You go to the, the truck stop in Terralingua. Okay. Um, that's wrong, though, because the actual answer is you go to the original Ninfas uh, in uh, East Houston. Mama Ninfa invented fajitas. You haven't had them till you've had them there. Okay. A fine restaurant. Next question. Uh, although you might have answered it with Big Ben. We'll see. Where are they going to do a fun thing? What's their activity? Well, I mean, assuming that you don't want to visit the Buddy Holly Museum in Lubbock or the uh, Kevin Williamson Birthplace Memorial in Amarillo, which is still under construction. It's been going very slowly. Yeah, I think Big Bend is the most interesting, impressive, and, and, and fun thing to do in Texas. Um, in the same sense that um, like people go to see the Grand Canyon, and that is not overrated. Um, the Grand Canyon is not overrated. Big Bend is, is not uh, overrated. So I would definitely do that before I did anything having to do with going to expensive restaurants in Austin. So that's interesting. Mine is close and similar-ish. Big Bend, of course, takes up a huge swath of West Texas. Um, Mine is to go do a little bit of the triangle over the Alpine, Alpine Fort Davis Marfa triangle over there. And you do the Mm -hmm. McDonald Observatory, which is the darkest place in the continental United States. They will actually let you stay in the dorms there. There's like bunk beds and stuff. And when the astronomer takes over at midnight, uh, who has the, the telescope that night, they will let you look at it through it for a few minutes. And they'll give you a little lecture on what they're looking for that night. And it's really, really cool. And then you can head over to Marfa and look for the Marfa lights. Feel free to read the Wikipedia entry on that. Uh, and they've got the Prada art installation in Marfa, which is, I mean, it was... Prada Martha's not actually in Marfa. Yeah, uh, it was made for Instagram before there was an Instagram. The, the fun thing to do in Marfa is walk around and say, why in this little town in the middle of nowhere do houses cost $5 million? <laughs> and there's like Hollywood celebrities who live there. <laughs> Don't get it. I mean, is fine. Don't get me wrong. It's a charming little place, but... Um, like these are Aspen prices around here. And, you know, uh, it's bananas. Uh, but my little triangle, like yours, actually, at Big Ben, it's hard to get to. You can fly to El Paso and drive. You can fly to Midland and drive. But you're looking but at... It's a, four or five hours even for me to walk. That's yeah. right. You're looking at a drive. And there's not a lot of gas stations on the way. So, like, you want to really think through some of your drive there. I think technically the uh, darkest place in the continental United States, of course, is, is your heart. <laughs> <laughs> that's a discussion for another day. another yeah that's separate. um okay last one what is the historical fact about texas that you like to tell people who are visiting um that the thing about texas having a constitutional right to revert to being an independent republic as part of its uh, treaty joining the united states is totally made up and uh doesn't exist never has existed it's just a complete you call it an urban legend but it's an urban legend 
without an urban background, I guess. Uh, mine is that the yellow rose of Texas that they teach all kids. So I was in kindergarten um, for the 150th anniversary of uh, Texas independence. And so it was like a... That's, I didn't want to mispronounce it. That's the truth. Uh, <laughs> and so like... I you dressed up as a Texian. We learned all of the songs and the facts and the Texas large mammal and small mammal. It's the longhorn and the armadillo for those who are curious. Um, we have a, I mean, all sorts of Texas things. And I, my son now has all the books on this, so I'm getting to relearn it. It's really fun. Um, the legend of the blue bonnet, wonderful story that every Texas child basically memorizes. But they teach you the song, the Yellow Rose of Texas, but they can't actually tell the kids what that's about because the yellow rose of texas was a prostitute and yes. when santa anna was marching on san jacinto in what would be the last battle for texas independence against sam houston they san, san what you pronounce it jacinto yeah okay that's interesting Go ahead. san jacinto <laughs> oh, i always heard it but that's just me in houston we say san jacinto <laughs> And we, I, I would go out every year to pick up trash. That was like what we did um, for Texas Independence Day. Uh, anyway, so Santa Ana and his men laid down for their afternoon siesta. We are told that they took naps when you're in school. They did not take naps. Instead, the Yellow Rose of Texas and some of her friends came over to keep the men entertained during their siesta. And that is when Sam Houston and his troops came to surprise them. It, the battle was over in about 30 minutes. Santa Ana sprained his ankle and met Sam Houston for the official surrender under a tree where he is um, painted, at least, sitting down with his leg out for that poor, poor sprained ankle. And so we celebrate the Yellow Rose of Texas and everyone thinks it's about a beautiful flower. Is there any truth at all in that story? Is it just completely made up? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, look, it is true that the, they did not see the Texans coming, the Sam Houston folks, that the battle was 30 minutes. So they were distracted somehow. I, I do find it hard to believe that they were just napping. Like someone would stand like watch unless there was something else going on. I'm not familiar with the military tactics of the period. <laughs> um, the San Jacinto Monument can be seen when you land at Hobby Airport on your drive into Houston, sometimes, depending on which route you take back. So uh, it's pretty cool. Kind of looks like the Washington Monument has a big star on the top. Someone will point it out to you if you ask. And with that, Kevin Williamson, our Texas off concludes. <laughs> Thank you. And you're in Texas right now, right? I am at the moment, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm jealous. I My Favorite thing is to go back for Thanksgiving in Texas. And with this new baby, I don't think it's going to happen this year. So we'll have to smoke a turkey here instead. So say hi to the state for me. Miss you, Texas. Thanks for the convo. And uh, see you next time. Wait, did I get that right? No, you won't. This is my podcast. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.